without wanting to embarrass anybody, has anybody got any chocolate Easter eggs left? (laughs) Naughty, naughty. After all the excitement of last Sunday, Easter Day, and after finishing off the last chocolate egg, some might think that Easter is over for another year. As Tom, uh, Tim was uh, indicating to us this morning, um, in the liturgical candle, uh, calendar, there are five more Sundays in the Easter season and Ascension too before we get to Pentecost, albeit that the reading from Acts that was scheduled for today is in fact part of the Pentecost story. Even so, today we are still firmly in Easter mode as we read of the resurrection appearances. The disciples are meeting together on the evening of what we now call Easter Day, meeting behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. Mary Magdalene had been earlier and proclaimed, I have seen the Lord. And now in the quiet of their meeting, Jesus appears to them and speaks, peace be with you. Quite appropriate words, given that the disciples are fearful of what might befall them, having seen their leader crucified and now escaped the tomb in which he had been laid. This is another episode in a fantastical story. Fantastical, that is, for those who do not yet understand. And still fantastical today for those who do not yet believe. In the first half of today's reading, verses 19 to 23, uh, Jesus is seen by all but Thomas. They knew who it was when they saw his hands and side. And John tells us that they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. After this, wouldn't you expect there to be lots of questions? What are you doing here? How did you get here? What Mary said must be true. Instead, Jesus gives them a job. He commissions them to forgive sins. This would not make much sense to the disciples as they believe that only God could forgive sins. True, God is the one who forgives sins. But now Jesus is going to do it through them through the disciples. What an awe-inspiring task. How would you feel if that task had been given to you? Wouldn't most of us say, no thank you? The difference is though that Jesus says that they are being sent by him in the same way that he was sent by God. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And then he says, receive the Holy Spirit. So what might have seemed an impossible task will become possible and the authority of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to enable them. Now put yourself in Thomas's position. Remember Thomas in chapter 11? When Jesus and the disciples respond to a message from Mary and Martha that Lazarus is ill... Thomas says, let us also go, that we may die with him. Not a very enthusiastic thing to say. 
And later in chapter 14, when Jesus, speaking of his own impending death, assures the disciples that they will eventually be with him again, it's Thomas who says, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Thomas is practical, pragmatic, realistic. And now when Thomas rejoins his fellow disciples, they may have wondered what he'd been doing. I know I'd be asking himself, myself why he hadn't been around. Anyway, he does turn up and hears the news. He reacts in a matter-of-fact way again to what he hears from them. Unless I see, I won't believe. Maybe it was just too fantastical for Thomas. Is that why Thomas got saddled with the nickname of Doubting Thomas? What a label to be stuck with for centuries. Is it fair? If we put ourselves in his shoes, would we have doubted? Would we have believed our friends because we had travelled, lived, worked, eaten and slept with one another for the last three years? Would we have sought evidence for what the disciples were claiming? I'm sure there would have been lots of questions. We have to ask ourselves whether Thomas was doubting that Jesus could have risen or doubting the truth of what his friends were saying. I think we tend to see his doubt as disbelief and thus in a rather negative way. And yet in his place, what would our reaction have been? I prefer to think that Thomas was just his own man. He wanted to know the truth for himself rather than relying on someone else's experience. We often hear or read stories which sound strange and maybe that's because of the way they are told. If we're able to speak to the people in the story and hear it straight from the horse's mouth as it were, you might well be more inclined to believe it. As children, my dad used to tell us adventure stories about what he'd got up to. And we knew that they were just stories. The problem came when one of his stories turned out to be true. We thought it was another of dad's stories until we heard it cooperated corroborated, sorry, by the television news programme. Perhaps Thomas wanted some independent corroboration too. And what better way than to see and touch for himself? A week later, he had that opportunity. When the disciples met together once more, this time with Thomas present, Jesus appeared among them, even though the doors were locked. Peace be with you was once again his greeting. So if any of them were in doubt as to who it was, this was a form of proof. Before Thomas even said anything, Jesus spoke to him. Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. What reaction would have been yours? 
I think I would have wanted to say to Jesus, why do you think I want to do that? Did they tell you that I doubted? A hypothetical question, of course, because we know how Thomas reacted. He didn't take up the offer to touch Jesus, but instead proclaimed, my Lord and my God. This is reminiscent of the disciple who loved Jesus, who had run to the tomb on seeing that it was empty, just as Mary had told them. John writes, he went in and he saw and believed. In both cases, the disciples wanted to see for themselves. Thomas wasn't so much doubting as wanting to experience for himself what the other disciples had witnessed. I think this says something to us about faith in general, and I hope about our own faith. First of all, faith is triggered by the witness of someone else. Secondly, faith is not second-hand. Thirdly, faith is personal. In the Acts reading, if, we, if you'd heard it, and maybe read it when you get home, Peter says this, This Jesus God raised up, and of that all of us are witnesses. Witnesses to the death and the resurrection of Jesus. The experience of one person passed on to another can and does trigger faith. It's the catalyst that sets someone off on a journey of and in faith. If you've ever read or heard someone's testimony of how they came to faith, there's often an individual who was significant. Someone whose own story, whose own experience was worthy of consideration. For Thomas, the experience of his fellow disciples made him think, unless I see, I will not believe. And he came back a week later to find out. He could have said it was all nonsense. He could have decided his friends were lunatics, but he didn't. In fact, he was prepared to experience what they had experienced for himself. He did not dismiss out of hand what they said. He just wanted proof. The disciples were the trigger. I can relate to that. I remember that I came to faith because I listened to friends who were Christians talk about their experiences but wanted to find out for myself, which I did, and that's how I came to believe. Thomas wanted proof for himself. I wanted proof for myself. And this is what I mean when I say that faith is not second-hand. Neither Thomas nor we base our faith on someone else's faith. We do not live our Christian lives through someone else's faith. We sometimes hear that a parent lives the youth they missed through their children's youth. That doesn't work. Nor does living one's faith through someone else's. So it isn't bad to want to know for ourselves. In fact, it's positively good. That way, faith is our own. And that means it's personal. 
It belongs to each of us individually. My faith, your faith. First and foremost, faith is personal. But when we meet as we do today, it becomes corporate. A corporate shared faith. The faith of the church of which we are a part is the faith of the members of the household of faith. In conclusion then, what happened to Thomas was his experience. But it also gives a message to us. We can be the catalyst that brings someone else to faith just by sharing our own experiences. Times when we've known the presence of God in our midst as he was with the disciples. Not necessarily seen in bodily form. Jesus says himself, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. The assurance we have of, have known of God's peace, the strength and insight given to us by the Holy Spirit, the joy of knowing Jesus as friend and saviour, and the life that we have in his name. All of these experiences are ones which no one can take from us because they are ours. They are personal and they are ours to share. The challenge for us to ask is to ask, with whom might we share our experiences today and tomorrow? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for the story of Thomas, for his and the other disciples' experience of you. Thank you, too, for those who have shared their experiences with us, who encouraged and continue to encourage us in our faith journeys. Lay upon our hearts those whom we might encourage And by your Holy Spirit, make us bold, gifted and confident to share our stories. Amen.